Yeah. <laughs> it can event. Yeah. I'm in the search for peace at least and a better spot to settle. Hey everyone, welcome to the show Community Spread. I'm your host, Kevin Lundell. On the pod today, we have Abby Twingstrom. I have no idea if I pronounced your name right, Abby. I should have got that. And Jake Haywood. And Abby are a brother sister, and their family uh, had a bout with COVID. And it got pretty serious, really serious, life-threateningly serious. Jake actually spent five days in the hospital on oxygen, and their dad spent 17 days on a ventilator uh, in a fight for his life. And so we get an up-close personal experience and account of what it's like to be going through this as a family from Jake and Abby. So I really appreciate them coming on. And now's the time where I get to tell you a little bit about what I'm thinking about or what I'm learning about. And right now, it's COVID. This is COVID edition, right? Because we are in the middle of an outbreak here in Utah and in Weber County, and we are noticing uh, COVID rates going through the roof. Hospitalizations are going up and up and up. We had the Salt Lake Tribune release an article showing that... um, some of the hospital administrators in the area are planning on how they're going to ration care in the future. Rationing care, that that sounds pretty tame, but what it actually means is having to decide who gets treatment and who doesn't if we're in a situation where ICU beds are full or there's too much work and not enough staff. What does that look like? That looks like taking someone off a ventilator before we know for sure if they're not going to make it because a healthier person might have a better chance at making it on a ventilator. That means taking an older person off a ventilator because a younger person might need that ventilator or might need the staff to help them. This is really, really serious times. And you know what? I've been thinking so much about it. You know, people have asked me before, hey, Kev, do you know that the show Community Spread uh, has like some meaning, uh, you know, about COVID infection? Yeah, And yes, of course I know. It's 2020. There was a play on it. And, you know, spreading healthy community requires us to look outside of our own learned experience and to learn from the experiences of others. I feel like COVID is like the very literal example of how a virus... Something bad can infect our community if we don't work together, if we don't step outside of our learned experience and think of other people and what our actions and how they may affect other people, how we can learn from other people's experiences, not having to necessarily go through it on our own and changing the outcome based on someone else's experience. We have to get beyond our own lived experience, and look to others. That's what this show is all about, is our ability to listen to other people's experiences, learn from them, and then change our actions accordingly so that we can have a better, healthier community. COVID is the case. It's literal. We have something out there, and if we act together as a community to limit its spread, we won't have to ration care We've got to take this more seriously as a community. We've got to come together. We need to learn from Abby and Jake's experience. And guess what? That's going to mean tough choices. It's going to be tough choices at the end of 2020. That means when your family's getting together for Thanksgiving, you say, hey, fam, how about we 
don't. We're really concerned about hospitals right now. We're really concerned about spreading this to grandma and grandpa. Uh, and, then we, and we may even know, as you see in this case, Jake's only 24 years old. His dad is only, is only 55. They are both healthy people. And it got them really, really sick. So it's going to be tough choices. Thanksgiving, Christmas. We need to realize that this is just one season there's going to come a time in the future when we have better therapeutics and better vaccinations and the, and the risk is going to be less. There will come a time. I hear people saying this, well, we're just going to have to learn to live with this. The president said that. And, and he said, we're going to have to learn to live with this. That is not the case. Um, we are, as Joe Biden said, we, some of us, some people are learning to die with this or learning to get really sick with this. And guess what? We are going to get therapeutics and vaccines in the future. And there will come a time when the risk is considerably less and we will be able to reserve, re, resume life as normal. So look forward to that day and act accordingly. We must come together as a community. So I hope you guys gain uh, what I did from this, and that is that I, I learned experience not having to go through it. And I hope I don't, because there are some, as you listen to this conversation, uh, there are, it's terrible. It's really, really hard. I hope I don't have to go through this. I hope none of my loved ones have to go through this. So let us come together as a community. Let us spread healthy community by coming together making the right choices, making the hard choices in the short term so that we can have a better, healthier, safer community in the long term. So with that, let's get to our conversation with Jake and Abby. Look how far we don't came, we made it to this land of surprise. Though the prophecy says we all been to a brass. Spread the word, let it be known the heaven set to survive. Right here, live in the flesh. Hey, welcome to the pod. Jake, we got you down there. How are you doing? I'm doing great. And we got your sister, Abby. Hello. So Abby uh, happens to be a patient of mine. From I hope I can say that. Did I just make a HIPAA violation? <laughs> if so, I'm not going to report you. So <laughs> I, I guess that's her permission. Do I have your permission, Abby? Yes, you have my permission. And Abby, uh, as she was coming in to me, started sharing with me about uh, her dad catching COVID and um, and her family getting COVID and their experience with it. And uh, I just then started to get to follow along with uh, her on Instagram. And but I didn't really get to meet Jake and, and hear his story about 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 his experience with it. And, you know, this podcast really is about us coming to know uh, and stepping outside of our learned experience, because it's hard for us sometimes. We get caught up in our bubbles. And if we're going to learn and grow, we have to look outside of ourselves. And we see this a lot right now with COVID, right? Like we're seeing how if somebody hasn't had a person, personal experience with COVID, they are sort of like, oh, well, what's the big deal? I mean, I had my neighbor down the street. It was just a bad cold. And so, but yet we know as of this recording, there's like 215,000 people that have died. There's a lot of other people that are living with morbidities because of it. And so we're, I'm hoping that having this uh, just for you guys to kind of get the opportunity to share with us your experience with Jake, you getting hospitalized and uh, Abby and both of you seeing your dad uh, or being through the experience of your dad going on a ventilator can help people realize how serious this is and um, help us 
take it more seriously so that we can we can prevent uh, further people from experiencing that. So Jake, tell us um, tell us a little bit about you before we go all into that. Tell us about you. What do you do? I am 24 and I am married to my wonderful husband. His name is also Jake. So we're, we're Jake and Jake. I go to school at UVU, Utah Valley University, and I'm studying music. I'm a musician. And, awesome. and um, what have sort of things have you done with your, with being a musician? I saw like some, I saw maybe as I was Facebook stalking, like some pictures of you in a play or something. What was that? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I love, I love performing um, in, in theater. I have a soft spot for musical theater. I even studied that at one point. I've changed my major like a million times, but you know. <laughs> yeah. He's not giving himself enough credit though, because like <laughs> he's been the lead in several productions, like Centerpoint Theater. He was Eric in Little Mermaid. He was always the lead in high school. I mean, the, and he's and he's not only talented like vocally, but he can sing or he can play the piano like since he was young, he can listen to a song on the piano and then play it. I mean, the kid, he stole all the talent from the rest of us. <laughs> but, like that. But, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, he's very talented. <laughs> Thank you. Awesome. Abby, and what, what are you up to? What, what do you do? And tell us about you. So I am a sixth grade teacher. I'm 31. Um, I'm a sixth grade teacher. This is my eighth year teaching. I love it most days. Um, <laughs> and... I, I am also married. My husband's name is Kevin. And then I have two children, a four-year-old son and a two-year-old daughter. And they are a handful and also so much fun as well. Kevin and Four I bond over the jazz. So I'm a huge jazz fan. <laughs> That's true. We did. We did bond over the jazz. It was like COVID playoffs and yep. we were talking, you know, all, all jazz things. So she came in with a jazz mask. She's a, she's a, she's a fan. Oh, she, she's a fan. She's the best. And here's something I appreciate about Kevin is that a lot of guys, I'll talk to them and they'll blow me off because I'm a girl and they think I don't know what I'm talking about, but I do. So, and and I guess you do. Yeah. And you didn't, and you never made me feel like I, I couldn't hold my own. So props to you. I I didn't try to, (laughs) I didn't try to mansplain you. No, no mansplaining. (laughs) Goodness. That's good. Abby, tell me, tell me, how did, how did your family start to contract COVID and what, what happened there? So we, honestly, we've been pretty good. We have never been like, oh, we're not going to wear masks. We've been pretty good. Like we wear masks. We try to social distance. We've done a pretty good job with that, but we were, we did still get together as a family. And so when we got together on September 6th, it was the day before Labor Day, there was nine of us all together. So my parents, um, Jake and Jake, Trevor, my youngest brother, and then uh, the four, me and my husband and my two kids. And so we all just got together. We had family dinner. We do Sunday dinners. And then we played a, a board game around the table and everybody was feeling fine. So then the next day, my youngest brother, who is up at Utah State, who's also been very careful. He's not one of the kids that's been going to these crazy parties and doing all the things. Okay. He He's been taking care. He leaves situations where he felt like there's too many people. He would wear a mask when he needed to. It's not like he wasn't being careful. I want to be very clear about that, that he, I don't want him to feel like this is all on him because it was not for sure, but he came down with symptoms the next day. And so, you know, stuff goes around. We're like, we'll see what happens, but he got tested smart. He was smart and got tested as soon as he could. And he came back positive. And at first we were just like, it was like, Oh, well that was dumb. Like we shouldn't have done that. Um, got together, but we're like, "Eh, no big deal. But then obviously we got tested after he did. And so that's when my parents, how many many days did you wait? Like, so he got tested and then did you guys wait a few days to get tested? That's a good question. So Jake and Jake got tested first because they had symptoms. We, I didn't, I mean, we, 
had like a little bit, but our doctors told us to wait a few more days just because it's more likely to get the the right result if you waited a week until after exposure. So I got to, my family got tested on a Sunday. I think my parents got tested the day before, but Jake and Jake got tested. I believe that Thursday. Is that right, Jake? Yeah. The same day that Trevor told so, us. So you yeah. got exposed on a Saturday, started getting symptoms on a Thursday. On a Sunday. We got Sunday. exposed on a Sunday. Yeah. Sunday. So that happens pretty, that's pretty quick, huh? Yeah. My dad did not have symptoms until the day after he tested positive. And Abby, you didn't end up testing positive, right? No, no. My family did not. Shockingly, it was weird because we had some of the same symptoms, but it's just a fluke, I suppose. Interesting. You were sympathy. You had sympathy symptoms. Yeah, I guess we all did, all four of us. So <laughs> very interesting. Okay, and Jake, how did you start? How did you start feeling? Like, what were the what were the initial symptoms as you started coming down? So it was interesting. I had the slightest of slight uh, sore throats. Uh, it felt more like fatigue because I'm, you know, very attuned to if I'm fatigued yes. <laughs> with my voice all the time, even on Monday and Tuesday. But it didn't feel like I was sick or scratchy or throat, I felt totally comfortable. Um, so I still went to school Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. Thankfully, there are really great procedures um, in place at UVU, specifically in the Nordisk Center for the Performing Arts. Everyone is great about wearing their masks and everything. So thankfully, as far as I know, on those three days that I um, was carrying COVID, I, I don't believe I spread it to anyone, which is awesome. That is awesome. I mean, it just goes to show that like some, some guidelines make a difference, like wearing masks, you guys are probably pretty, pretty careful of your distance. Uh, Definitely. We at see school. usually when we can, um, it's getting colder now, but uh, we, even when we're inside, we're more than six feet apart from each other, especially because we're singing and that's just pretty breathing, you know? So yeah. <laughs> do you, do you sing with a mask on? Definitely. Yes. And yeah. Yeah, we always wear masks. So yeah, I had this tiny little, maybe a tickle, but nothing to even uh, worry about, I thought. Thursday morning, and I was on my way to school to, you know, for my for my next class at um, noon or something. Maybe I was going early, but we got a, a message from my little brother while I was on my way that said, hey, I tested positive. You should all probably get tested. So that same day, I, I mean, I just turned right back around. I went straight to my husband who works from home and we got on the hotline, which is quite a long, Abby knows, like dropped calls, long holds. It was it was pretty crazy. Um, they're probably pretty understaffed, so I don't really blame them, but it was <laughs> really hard to even get any information from them. This um, is like a Utah COVID hotline. Mm-hmm. Exactly. The IHC COVID hotline. Yeah, they're overwhelmed. Exactly. We called, we were able to get in uh, the same day, which is really lucky. Um, that same day was when we really started to feel, feel symptoms. And it was as soon as we heard that we had been exposed, it was only a couple of hours before I was feeling like I had an actual cold. My husband was the same way. I started to get feverish. It comes on really fast. It's like nothing. And then all of a sudden uh, you feel really sick. As you are, you know, you're starting to get some more symptoms. Tell me when, when, at what point does it start to kind of go downhill where you're like, whoa, like I'm getting more and more sick. This may be starting to get more serious. And for those of you guys at home, I'm sitting here looking at Jake. He's a healthy, young, vibrant, 24 year old guy. (laughs) Yeah. So I'm really lucky in that 
my husband and I, we have roommates that we live with that are our friends and we've lived together since the beginning of March. So uh, it's been nice. We've kind of had, had a built in friend group that we've been able to quarantine with. Um, the quarantine, if you will. A quarantine. I love that. Very nice. That's, that's, that's actually really good. It's really, it's nice to have some social partners. Really nice. They're some of our best friends. Yeah. Um, one of them is a respiratory therapist and she actually went to New York to uh, help out when things were really crazy in New York. So she was in Manhattan at like one of the biggest hospitals, uh, if not the biggest hospital in New York when they were just completely overwhelmed. And so she was incredibly experienced with handling um, COVID cases. We got our positive result just a couple of days after um, we were tested and still felt just kind of like a cold, both of us. But things started to go a little bit south, um, especially at night, I was just getting crazy chills. I was freezing cold and just sweating like crazy. And I had never had, you know, colder flu symptoms that were like that. And my husband, he, he stayed at about the, the bad cold, which was really fortunate because he was able to take care of me then as symptoms got a little bit worse. I could tell it was getting a little bit harder to breathe. My roommate had a, um, I don't know what you call them, the things you put on your fingers that tell you your oxygen. <laughs> yeah, your oxygen saturation meter thing. Exactly. She had one of those just like hanging out at the house, which was super fortunate. Very convenient. Um, it was so convenient. My roommate was able to tell me what an, a normal, you know, she, it got to the point where usually at nights I'd get down to like 89. She was like, that's, that's not good. <laughs> well, it got to the point where it was down to 87. And then I just, all of a sudden, like it hit me like a truck. I was feverish. I couldn't think straight. I could not breathe at all even just sitting down you know my husband was in the next room working I just cried out for him and I was like you need to take me to hospital right now so actually it ended up being my roommate she she took me to the hospital because she had a mask that was like one of those respirator masks or something mm -hmm. like N95 I think is what it's called she took yeah. me straight to the hospital into the ER by the time I got there it had progressed so much again being in a really weird state I thought I didn't need a wheelchair uh, they offered me a wheelchair but I couldn't walk I could uh, without just losing my breath completely. So I was walking Whoa. around zombie in the ER, refusing a wheelchair, which is dumb, <laughs> um, chasing them down so I could get my vitals checked. And, and what did that, what did that feel like? You know, I mean, your oxygen levels are dropping your, and more importantly, like uh, you, your oxygen levels are dropping, you, you know, anything below 90 is pretty something you're concerned about for sure. Right. You're dropping into those, into those high eighties and coming down further. Yeah. And you know, you're, you know, you're, you have a deadly disease. Were you scared? I was terrified, especially, I mean, I've said this like five times, I guess it's my whole identity, but I'm a singer. And oh. not only am I worried about my life, but I was so worried about my lungs. I, I felt helpless and scared and kind of a little bit lied to uh, because I'm 24, right? This is only supposed to affect old people with heart disease or something like that. And those people very much matter, but I, I guess I lost a little bit of my sense of invincibility. Mm, for sure. When I'm in that ER, just like a zombie walking around trying to chase down the nurse, I, it, it, was, it was awful, but they got me in, um, hooked me up to all the oxygen, it started to increase, but it, by the time I was in the hospital, it was down to 85. Yeah. And you're, you're feeling it big time at that point, Abby, you're the healthy one at this point. And 
you're checking in on brother and dad. Is that, is that what, what role you're playing? What are you, what are you doing? Yeah. So we're quarantined still. So you're a school teacher. So you're like, sorry, sorry, kids. My team is fabulous and they helped me out and we had subs and they were amazing. And so it worked out fine that way. I'm only half time this year. So that helped some, Um, but I'm quarantined. And, and at this point, my dad isn't really that sick. Like he's like fine. And I mean, he has a little Jake's, bit of a cold, but, Jake's but Jake is the, the one hospital. we're worried about. Yes, dad's, Jake dad's is. Dad's good. We're worried yeah. about Jake. We're not worried yeah, about Yeah, we're dad. worried. And then, yeah, my mom had, a, she, she was like a cold, a bad cold too, but she was fine. And of course, we're a little bit more at the beginning worried about my parents because they're, oh, I mean, they're 55. It's not like they're that old, but they're h- higher uh, in the risk range. So, so Abby, keep tracking me along with dad. Uh, okay. You know, what, how, when does dad start to start to go down jake jake gets out of the hospital he's still on oxygen and he thought he might be for quite a long time he ended up doing great and getting off pretty soon but jake's out of the hospital okay so i this is crazy to me i just i was just assuming that they were going to both land in the hospital at the same time at some point because they got sick at the same time no right jake what didn't you leave like the the, like one or two days before so okay so we're going to go back to so it was sorry (laughs) It's crazy. I just assumed. Yeah, it's so interesting to me. It's so interesting mm-hmm. to me that, that they yes, they got yeah, the COVID on the same day. Jake lands in the hospital. The time like dad's doing okay. That and and so so Jake, you're in the hospital day one, um, and and they get your O2 stats up a little bit, but they like, hey, we're keeping you here. Yes, I I didn't even know if I'd be admitted, but they were very. I mean, it was very clear that I did need to be admitted. They, I, I was not stable. My oxygen was not stable without them supplying me oxygen, they started giving me more and more oxygen um, because it was just getting worse in the hospital. So it was a really good thing I was there when I was there. They got me up to five liters. (laughs) That's quite high, especially for a 24-year-old. They're just pumping you full of oxygen, trying to keep your O2 levels up and... You're, you're, uh, yes, yes. What does that feel? What does that feel like? Are you super nervous? Are you? I was so nervous um, because they also... COVID also gave me pneumonia. So um, I had pneumonia from it as well in that there was just all this disgusting stuff in my lungs. Um, I was coughing like crazy. That was out of control. They gave me a, I think it was like a narcotic, but it also helped with um, cough suppressing or something. Yeah, they, um, they, they put me. It was hydrocodone. And they also had, they gave me this packet of information and it was for remdesivir is what it's called. It's a investigational drug that is not yet approved by the FDA. I believe it's maybe being fast-tracked because I also believe uh, President Trump was on it. So it was a little scary, like, oh, I'm on an investigational drug drug right now you know non fda approved and and the doctor talked to me about lungs scarring um oh. the potential for lungs to scar that was devastating i called my mom about an hour later just crying when it had finally sunk in and you know i said chop off my arm you know chop off my arm before i i can't sing yeah. um, it's a huge part of my identity and and just how I express myself in my life. So that was absolutely terrifying. So remdesivir is like an antiviral, an antiviral drug that they're using on this. And did they give you a steroids at the time as well to try to help yes, you they did get through that? Steroids as well. Yep. Wow. And so you track, steroids. tell me just like, give me the, the synopsis of the next five days. What happens over the next, over the next four days as you're in the hospital? Yeah. I, I just laid there all the time. They had me on my stomach all the time. Um, they call it proning so that I, it helps me um, 
get all the crap out of my lungs. Um, we called it tummy time. I called it tummy time because, <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah, over the next few days, uh, they started decreasing my oxygen more and more because it, it got better after the first couple days. Uh, I slowly started to improve, um, but I still couldn't do anything without getting out of breath. Yeah, it was yeah, terrifying. I, mean, I didn't know what to expect. Another thing they told me is, oh, watch out for chest pain. It could be a pulmonary embolism. Like they're like, there's all these another things. Thing that, another thing that, that can kill you. It's just a blood clot in your lung that can kill you. Right. Just go. like at any moment, you know? <laughs> so even now, like who knows if this is going to be like another underlying condition, we have no idea. <laughs> and so now I'm watching out for chest pains um, because it might be a pulmonary embolism, you know, as far as my lungs, like I, I just hope that they get all the way back to where they were. But Thankfully, I'm at a place now. Um, I'm fortunate that they're usable and um, I can do most things that I need to do. Probably really fortunate that you caught this thing in September, you know, it, it, when they've got yeah. remdesivir, they know the steroids work pretty effectively. Um, you know, that probably saved your lungs, maybe saved your life. You know, like we, we know statistically we are getting better at treating COVID and uh, you're an example of that. Um, but still one that uh, it was almost life-changingly scary. Um, so dad, you get out of the ho- you get out of the hospital. When does dad go in? I get out of the hospital um on the 20th. And um, my dad had gone to uh, the emergency room or and the insecure like once and so he was probably on but that was just like they got, put him in they're like no you're probably okay here's some oxygen and then sent him home. So the day that and I, that was around the same time, right, Jake? Like you came yeah, out. We and were on oxygen at the same time. Yes, they were on oxygen so, yeah, at the same time. Dad went to yeah, that's the thing that overlapped. Um, there you go. Dad went to Instacare the day before I left the hospital. He came back home. He said he was feeling a little better with the oxygen. I came home on the 20th. Yeah. Um, and then on the 22nd then, is when he went back to the ER. He went back to the ER because that he was on oxygen. And they got one of the, I think it's called an oximeter or something like that. What we were talking about before that they put on your finger to check the saturation. And he was at 79 with oxygen. So lips are literally turning blue. And my, and the thing is like, we didn't think it was that bad because he was on oxygen. So my mom had no idea how bad it was. And they call, we call the ER and they're like, well, you can bring him in or you can talk to your, your physician and see what he says. And so I'm like, well, okay. She doesn't know. Like, and so 30 minutes within, like, so they call back the on-call physician calls back and says, she called me right after that before the physician called. And she said, am I reading this right? It says he's at 79. And I was like, mom, you're probably reading it wrong. Yeah, That's we're probably like, There's his no way. Heart and so I had her FaceTime me. I saw the oxygen meter and it said 79. And I said, mom, you need to take him right now and that's you what got some experience said. with this now you're like you got some experience you know what those yes. numbers feel like you know i know those numbers we saw i had him sh- i had her show us his lips and they were blue whoa dad's lips were and blue. she probably just if for her it was gradual she didn't even realize it and he had a big scruffy beard at the time um so abby before you do that tell yes. me tell me about dad tell me about your dad tell yeah, me so that's like, what i was gonna say like you yeah. gotta know my dad exactly okay? my dad is tough as heck he's five foot six maybe and like short but oh man he makes up for it like um when i like he is stubborn in good ways and bad but that's probably what saved him truly in the end from from not making it through this 
Um, he is fiercely loyal to his job, to his family. He, um, he has, he's also like tender hearted. So he's like, he's a tough guy. He loves like the outdoors and all that, but he's also like a tender, like he, we call it the Insta cry. Like he'll start talking about something and then Insta cry. And we kind of all got that from him. At least three of the, well, two, at least me and Jake got it from him. <laughs> and, but he's like, he's, he's tough, man. Like he's a fighter for sure. And so he's not going to, and he was like, now that we look back, we could see him like slowly, like getting worse, but we just thought he was like tired. Um, and my mom was with him. We were, like I said, we were still quarantined. And so she was the only one there. And she, I know that she put some of the blame on herself, which is silly, but, um, he was progressively getting worse. And so they take him to the ER. So he's a 55, he's a 55 year old active guy, no real other comorbidities other than overweight. Like most of us Americans. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Okay, so his uh, his his O2 stats are dropping. They're at yes. seventy. They're we at take him to the emergency you, room. Blue blue lips. How yep. fast does it go from there? What happens? So the t- we take him to the emergency room. My mom does. Um, that was the twenty second. The next day, the twenty third, we hadn't really heard much. We knew that he had been admitted, but the twenty third, about I would say twelve thirty or one o'clock, my mom called all of us. We did a family phone call and said, "Hey." he's on a ventilator. We didn't even know he was on a ventilator. We didn't like he consented. We learned later, but he had probably been on a ventilator for like several hours at that point, but we just weren't aware. Um, and we, we knew what that meant. I mean, we know that's not good, right? We know the stats are not great. They're getting better. Like, like you said, it's better now than it would have been in March, um, or April. Okay. So really quickly. (laughs) Yeah. You guys got, got exposed uh, how many days from exposure to like testing positive? That was About, like a week or so. So yeah. And from and first symptom, from first symptom to landing in the, for him, for him, first symptom to going to the hospital was like, um, first symptom was probably, let me look at my calendar. First symptom, probably like the 11th of September around the 12th, maybe. And then, so 10, so about 10 to 12 days later, 10 to 12 days, you know, he's hospitalized. He, these are the time when like Trump was claiming victory over his COVID. Yes. And it wasn't until that point that your, um, your dad was actually in, in, admitted to the hospital. Yeah. And from the time, so he goes to the ER from the time he goes to the ER of the time you guys are notified or are notified that he's on a ventilator was how long from the time he was in the ER. Well, he went late that night and then my mom, the last thing we heard from like him was the night before. Yeah. He was, he didn't go on the ventilator. Yeah. We're guessing it was early morning, maybe around five or 6 AM. We found out about six hours later. And, so, and here's what's hard. We're like, what if it ends like this? What if it ends? And we had no closure. Like, I mean, and all of a sudden he's just on and that's how it was bad. Like we could feel it was bad. In fact, a couple. And so he's on the ventilator and like the next, couple of days later, I could feel how close he was to not making it. And we didn't know this at the time. The doctors, you know, they're careful about what they share with the family, but I could feel it in my heart that he was close. And we learned later that he had a two to 5% chance of making it um, two to 5% ch- chance. They say, so may, so Jake's roommate that is a respiratory therapist says nobody, he's on a hundred percent oxygen. They were, the ventilator was supplying the whole thing. Nobody gets off of it at that point. Like nobody and so we really do right. believe it's it a miracle between, that he. It was between yeah the two the two things hundred percent oxygen was being supplied, 
and he was at a 20 on the PEEP, which has to do with like lung pressure. That's, I think that's the maximum setting. So he was on maximum settings for both of those things. My roommate has seen this over and over and over. Um, thankfully, she was tactful as well. But later on, she told me, yeah, if it gets to that point, they usually never get off of it. They don't get off of it. So, oh, we, but we knew it was you know, bad. Abby, like you're, you're yeah. coming, you came into my office at some point during this and, and yeah. you told me your dad's on a ventilator. And I don't know at what point this was, but you were like, you were like still pretty positive. I don't know how you were putting that energy Because I out. know my dad. Oh, because I was like, uh, like I know the statistics on, yep. you know, if you're on a ventilator, you've got like 20% chance of coming off. And I don't know if that's gotten better. That's what it was, you know, a few months ago, It's not. but it's I know that. Great. And I was just like, I, I honestly was watching your, your Instagram feed every day. And then you posted the, a picture of him and I was like, this is it. This is it. And then I read and I was like, oh. Oh, he's doing good. And seriously, my heart sunk. I, I saw that picture of your dad and I was just like, oh my gosh, this is it, you know? Yeah, well, yeah. And I, I found a text message that I sent to just my brothers. I knew I didn't want to worry my mom more, but I basically was like, guys, I'm scared. I'm scared that he's not going to make it. Like, and um, my brother said, um, oh, I got to find it. This is my young. So I'm the oldest and he's my next one down, Sean. And he's, he's a tough guy. At least he likes to think he is. He said, look, we've gone through a ton the last few years. We can do this too. Dad is a champ no matter what happens. A freaking champ. He set us up to be great and do hard things. And now we're faced with the law. And so is he. But largely because of him, we can do this. And so can he. And if he doesn't, damn it, he'll be the best dad on the other side that this world has ever seen. Yeah, this blows and it's hard and freaking scary. But we're champs too. We've got this. Love you guys. You can. And I, I read that to reiterate. Like we thought he we thought that it was close. Like, um. And, and, and like you said, like I was still trying to be positive. And I think a lot of that is because we were receiving so much love and support and prayers and thoughts from so many people that that lifted us up to, um, we, the community really has rallied around my family. And so that, that definitely is needed, but it shouldn't take a miracle to, this isn't necessary. It shouldn't take a miracle to make, to get him to survive. So, um, he's on the oxygen or I'm sorry, on the ventilator. He ends up being on the ventilator for 17 days. They told us to plan on two weeks to two months. So all things considered, that's decent. But most people pre-COVID are on ventilators for maybe two or three days. And there are repercussions that come with that, with being on a ventilator, which we're still working through. Um, so he's on a ventilator for 17 days. We're, we're not able to talk to him. Obviously, he's pretty out of it. Most of the time, he's completely out of it, almost like an induced coma. And then when he started to come to, it was very, like, he, it was so heartbreaking because he would call us, like, somehow he had his phone. I don't know. And he was still so sedated, but he would call us and he couldn't on, say anything. On a ventilator? You... Yes. On his ventilator. He had us. And so he's sedated, so you're con- but. You're, you're conscious? How can he? So apparently, it depends on how much sedation you're on. The, the less sedated you are, the better in the longer end. I guess I'm still learning all this too. So they tried to slowly, like this is towards the end, the end of the time he was on the ventilator. Um, he calls us and like, he can't speak. He's intubated. And so it's just like, you hear like background noises and you try to talk to him and nothing. And it's devastating. Oh. And you, and like video calling, like you'd see him and he would just like try to mouth things to us and just like talk to us. And it was just like, heart-wrenching like it was so painful to see him like that 
and not himself at all. And just like trying, like they actually ended up because he wanted out and he thought he was okay. He's not all there. He wasn't all there mentally. Um, he would try to like rip the tubes out. They had to actually um, hold him down. Like get, the, Oh, what is that word I'm looking for? Restrain, restrain yeah. him. Oh, yes. Yeah. They had to restrain him so that he didn't. And he was very grumpy. And my dad is a jovial guy. He, that is not like him. He's a jokester. Um, and so we, that was painful, like to know that he was starting to be more aware. I think that was probably the hardest time for him. He was aware and not really aware. And so what, that was, hard. what'd you say, Jake? He was panicking. It mm-hmm. was, it was so sad. Um, when he video chatted me, it, it was, it was the same thing. He was trying so hard to talk. The phone was shaking cause he couldn't hold it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just seeing my dad panicking, trying to say anything to me. Yeah. Was there anyone that could be with him? Not, not other than the nurses or medical. So staff. your mom, your mom wasn't able to go in there. There's just nobody um, there, just nurses and my. Doctors. So my mom, my mom and dad's bishop of their ward, of their LDS ward was there. He's like a doctor there, and so he was able to get permission somehow to go in there. And I think that calmed him down a little bit just to see somebody that he knew. But then oh, he was wow. like, well, get me out of here. <laughs> and so anyway, but that was it. Yeah, that was hard. Not even being able to be there at all was really tough. Yeah. So hard. I can't imagine, you know, you think, you know, so I, I've only thought of this in the abstract and thought of the, uh, you know, just, what that would be like for someone that you love there alone and not be able to be with them and, you know, uh, help them fight through this. But then to hear your guys' stories of him, you know, trying to reach out to you and, and living through that, that's, that is, you know, even something that I'd never contemplated or, or thought that would be taking place, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're lucky to have even gotten that far so that he could yeah. be conscious at all. You yeah. know, um, most, most of the time, it's not that case. You don't realize it's the end. Suddenly he's on a ventilator and you never talk to him again. Um, I, I have a friend um, who her dad passed away um, due to COVID. And he, I believe is only 65 um, or so. And I, I actually met him as well. He was super nice. He, Um, He helped with one of the musicals I was in once and uh, just a a great guy. But um, as far as I know, I don't think they were able to have a gathering or anything for a funeral. They could, they were able to FaceTime him. I think they, uh, and say their goodbyes over FaceTime. It's this superhuman, it's this human thing, right? Passing away and getting to be with all your family, but it, it feels so wrong that people are not able to have funerals. They're not able to be with the people as they pass away. We are incredibly fortunate because spoiler alert, there is, I mean, a lot of progress and, um, <laughs> and stuff. He's so out of the hospital. <laughs> yeah. You know, one thing I, when I'm thinking about this in the context is we know this is getting worse. Hospitals are getting full. You have used over capacity right now. Yes. And I, I had a conversation uh, with a friend who went to New York uh, as a respiratory therapist, uh, nurse practitioner, and, you know, they would have people pass away and they'd move on to the next patient. And they'd realize at the end of the day, they hadn't notified the family, mm. you know, because they're working so mm-hmm. hard. So all so of these much. things, when, when you guys are, 
uh, you know, like at least they were at a capacity level where they were able to give like lots of attention to your dad lot, yeah. and try to get, you know, communication back to you guys. Well, you know, yeah. what is this going to look like in two yep. months from in a month from now, if we keep going down this road, what does that yes. look like for families like you guys on the other end of a ventilator? That's so terrifying. I, I did talk to my uh, roommate just a little bit before this podcast, just to see if there was anything she wanted to add. Um, and she she just reiterated, you know, when she was in New York um, and they were just completely overcrowded with COVID patients, um, they were doing everything they could, but they couldn't possibly give them the care that they deserved or needed because of how many of them there were that they had to take care of. She, th there was no possible way that they could all get the best care. Um, and that's what we're looking at as hospitals are filling up all their beds. Um, and, sorry. And that's just gonna lead to more problems with people of any condition. And that's, I think, it's like you said, what is it going to look like? And, and almost like it, feeling lucky that it happened now because I think you and I actually talked about this when I came in one time, Kevin, that we're worried about like after Thanksgiving, like when these families start coming together and they're having these meals, I mean, we had one of our siblings sick and we ended up with four more because of one dinner and one board game. And what happens when it's Thanksgiving weekend and what happens when it's the holidays? And I just, you know, you don't think you have to wear a mask around your family, but if they're not in your, if they're not in your house, if you're going to still get together, then wear a freaking mask. And, and to touch on the hospital beds, I think, so there's some misconceptions. In fact, I had a, I've had a couple of conversations with some people that have said, well, I've heard that it's because they're doing elective surgeries more now. And um, so that's why they have more people in the ICU. And so I checked with my friend who actually ended up being my, one of my dad's nurses and she's at the ICU that he was at. And I asked her about this and she said, they aren't doing as many electives that go to the ICU. When I left Friday morning, so this is just this past Friday, more than half the ICU is COVID. This is here in Ogden. The ICU is full of sick people who are sick from COVID, people waiting too long to get treatment resulting in life-threatening problems. So the ICUs are not full of elective surgeries. They are full of super sick people who are scared to get treatments. We are admitting more people into the hospitals because they waited too long. People are very misinformed right now. So this is real. Like it's not, it's, it's real. We, we want to make up stories to tell ourselves that it's not, and that it's all fine. And it's, it's not, it's not gone. We still have to be in this. It's frustrating when we start comparing it. I get that it sucks. I get that it's inconvenient. I get that your kids are missing their sports games and that's totally crappy and all this other stuff, but you don't have to have your, your family member in the hospital. This does have to dominate your life when your family member is on a ventilator. It dominates your life, regardless of, regardless of who you are. So I just think we need to take it very seriously and just care about each other. It's not all about us. And I realize that my dad is an extreme example. I realize that most people do not get this sick, but there are plenty that are going to. And there, and even if it's just for a few people, why are we not? Why are we not taking these precautions? And there's not enough. It's not just the beds that we're worried about. I know down in St. George at Dixie Med, Dixie Regional Medical Center, they had to open more down there as well. And it's not the beds that we're worried about. It's the people. These doctors, even the pediatrician that I talked to about with to my daughter's pediatrician, I asked, she's like, "How are you?" I'm like, "Good. How are you?" And she's like, "Not really great. Not really great." And how often does a doctor tell you that? Like that she's that. This is just a phone call. Like we got to help them out, man. <laughs>
Yeah, for sure. As my my nurse, um, one of my nurses, I, I when I was in the hospital, I was asking him, "How are you? Um, how's this going?" And he's like, "I'm like looking for a way out. Like it, we're overworked. There's so few of us, and especially with something like this, it's it's insane." Jake, tell me what it was like to hear your hear your dad's voice when you get when he when he came off a ventilator and you got to talk to him or you got to you got to see him from a distance or i guess you guys have you well, had covid you guys can hang out <laughs> <laughs> right right luckily you can give him a big giant hug <laughs> they do have to uh they do have to quarantine um after the hospital i don't know if there's exposure i don't know so i haven't been able to have that hug yet Okay. Um, that I, I really want. It happened so fast that he got sick, really sick, really fast. And my dad was, we were hearing like pretty good news every day, which was shocking because of how bad it was. Um, most days it was good. And it's funny, we kind of made a family joke out of it, but um, every single phone call that my mom would get about an update, they would say, well, this is slow. Remember that this is a slow process. So we've always made a joke that it's like, oh, we thought it was fast. Like the last person told us that it was fast. <laughs> no, <laughs> everyone, they always would remind us that it's slow and that's great. Uh, we needed to have those uh, expectations, but my dad, uh, we were hearing great news. Uh, not great. We were hearing good news Positive, every day, yeah, baby, steps, baby steps. And we would celebrate every baby step, but it's almost like, those two weeks, I mean, they were just awful, but then it seems like he was back as quickly as he was sick. I don't know if you felt that same way, Abby. Well, I just want to say like, he's not fully back. Like, let's be like, let me say this because we didn't ever get to have that conversation. Like, Oh, you're good. Because what a lot of people don't realize and what I didn't even realize is after you're off a ventilator, it really messes with your mental capacity. And he, those first few days that he was off and even able to talk to us, he would like, he was not himself. Like he would say bizarre things. And sometimes they were funny. Really? Like he'd be, he'd ask like the cleaning crew, he would be like, what's your nickname? And I'm like, what? <laughs> like just weird things. And, but then it was like heartbreaking because he's not himself. And then he'd like swear at my mom, which he would never do. And, and then he'd call back and apologize. And so mentally he was not there and that can happen. COVID can cause this. And if you Google like COVID brain, which I know Google is Google, but like there are cases that there are people that have been off uh, that haven't had COVID for months that are dealing with repercussions mentally. And also just being on a ventilator can cause this. And so um, he's still, he's gotten better, but that is something that we're concerned about because it could possibly never, he could possibly never quite get back to himself. So that's right. kind of something that we're worried about. We've had those conversations and we're starting to see him come back. His voice is still not, he's still very scratchy. You have a tube down your throat for that long. It's going to cause some issues for a while. Um, but he's not, he's not, fully himself yet he's getting there and we believe we believe he will hopefully eventually so that he can work and everything but that is something that we're a little scared about right now that nobody talks about it's terrifying and it it was interesting because i um i got a phone call from our mom uh, from mom just i mean it was just a a few days ago i guess last week and she says i have good news and bad news um the good news is dad is coming home tomorrow this is like three days after he's off the ventilator 
That was shocking because we had been told about, um, you know, different therapies that you'd have to go through. Rehab centers. Rehabs and all of that. And um, they decided that he, I mean, he could eat solid food again. He was doing pretty great. He improved quite a bit. Um, He was going to go home. So that was like shocking for me. That's when it was like, whoa, this is fast. Um, But then she did say the bad news of, you know, coming off the ventilator and, you know, whether there was oxygen deprivation of the brain or at all, or we don't know COVID brain. We're still learning so much about what COVID does. He might not be always, he might not be the same dad, same exact dad that I, you know, I've always had. And they said it might be a, a month, a few months, a year or never that he's back to being himself. He has been home when he's been home with my mom, though. He's been, my mom says he's been so sweet, so humble, so kind. Like, um, yeah, it seems like he's had some near death experiences from some of the stuff that he's mentioned, like seeing his mom who's passed away several years ago now. Like, he's like, don't worry, you don't have to take care of me now. I'm good. Like, just a couple of things that we're we're like, well, yeah, we knew you were close to death, but he's on the right track. So we're grateful for that. Yes. Yes. Wow, what an experience. Thank you guys so much for sharing that with us. Tell me, like, how is Thanksgiving going to look at your house now? (laughs) That's a great question. We haven't talked about that. (laughs) Or what Um, would you suggest other people's? I mean, some of you guys are immune now, so maybe. Yeah, I know. I'm like, we're kind of. I mean, like some we, of you are like, immune now, so maybe you can get together yeah. on Thanksgiving. But like Abby touched on it a minute ago. Yeah. Um, like what what do you what do you want people to know going forward about how we can how we can mitigate this and and somebody that can learn from your experience? If you are not in the same, just because they're your family doesn't mean that they don't have COVID. Like, and so if you are if you are first of all, I would suggest trying to stay as close to home as possible. Um, especially if you have people around you that are high risk. I know that it's so hard. And I know like some of the grandparents are like, I don't care. I'd rather not make it than not see you. But like, you don't, you don't know what that actually looks like when you are on a ventilator. Um, And so, but if you are still be so freaking smart, do the things that they're asking to do. Masks are not taking away your freedom. They're not wear your mask. Um, Stay away from each other be smart about like sharing food, like all those little things. And it sucks. And I hate that. Like Thanksgiving should be a time to be get together. But like our Thanksgiving this year is being grateful that our dad is alive. Yes. And be careful on those family gatherings and you do what you feel is right. And for me, that is probably staying, keeping your distance if possible, but at very least be smart when you're around each other. It's, it's selfish to say, well, it's okay if I get COVID because I'm young because someone in your circle might live with a grandparent or live with someone with another underlying condition or have an underlying condition themselves. We have no idea our own underlying conditions sometimes, let alone that of those that we come in contact with. I believe that being smart is not only for our own protection, but it's also an act of love. And you also don't know who around you has lost someone. We could also talk about the fact we're so fortunate that we, we live in a family where we're gonna be okay financially. We have access to healthcare, um, middle-class white, but one in a thousand black people in America have died already 
Jeez. because of coronavirus. If it continues going like it's going right now, it could be one in 500 black people in America dying. So your Thanksgiving think, should look you know, different this year. That's what I'm saying. Yes, I, I agree 100%. And Jake, uh, those are really important thoughts that I think our community um, may not be feeling the full effects of this um, because we live in a predominantly white, uh, you know, middle to upper class sort of communities. And uh, in those other communities, this is, this is really taken, took a devastating toll on those communities. And so, uh, Abby, I agree. Your Thanksgiving should look different. Um, we've made a decision not to get together with family. We'll get together in 2021. You know what? Like, then, and we'll, you know, we'll, we'll get together in 2021. Uh, we got to keep our heads down for a few more months. Yep. We're at it. We're at it. We're going to enter. We're going to enter yep. these months where we're all getting going inside. Everyone's going indoors. People have been conscious about trying to stay outdoors. We're all going indoors. Yep. It's getting cold. We're all going to go indoors and uh, large Mormon family gatherings are going to be taking place. Yeah. And it, those are going to be super spreading events all over the place. Yes. And we're at, some of our hospitals are at capacity. This is one of those situations that could just get utterly dire. Scary. So I hope that those who listen to this podcast can uh, know that it was just that it was just a family gathering that feels so innocuous. And most of the time is that's the thing yes, that's crazy. It is true. Most, most of the time that is totally innocuous event. Even now, like I think of all of my people that have got all the, all the people around me that have gotten COVID there's like not that many, which means this whole time I could have just been hanging out. <laughs> right. Because most of the people yeah. didn't have it, right. but until there's that one instance and then it spreads and then somebody gets it. So you don't, that's the human element that's so hard is most of our interactions are actually not deadly or not even going to cause yes. somebody to get sick. For a lot of us, we don't know a lot of people that have gotten it, you know, to the point where it leads to them passing away or being hospitalized. But again, we look at other communities, you know, the native community, uh, indigenous people, like they are feeling it super hardcore right now. I know like the Navajo nation, like it's, it's hit them really hard without the resources that they need. Um, you know, black, and those are just the ones that we know about. Like those are just right. the ones we know about. Like people are like, Oh, they're, if they're making the numbers appear bigger than they are. I'm like, yeah, but there's probably a ton of people that are dying from this that we don't even know. That's why they're dying because they never got access to that healthcare, especially in those, um, communities of higher risk. Right. And if they feel like they can't miss work, um, yes. And so they don't go to the hospital. They're and workers. If Dad went to the hospital that night and felt like he had a job the next day, he would have uh, passed. Yeah, for sure. He would have. That's heavy to think about. I just well, want to sorry. Go ahead. No, go ahead. Just Abby. one thing. Be careful what you're saying on social media and to other people. Because when they're, when people have been, they say things and they don't realize that there are people that are going through COVID in their family right now. And so when you compare, you know, when you compare this to abortion or when you compare this to the flu or when you, you know, it's just, it's just like a, so frustrating to hear those things because it, it's, it's not the same thing. It's not the same thing. Like, and people look at things so strangely, but just be careful the way that you speak about it and to it. And 
I, I am astonished by the lack of compassion of some people that I don't know, like that I like on just different comments on like a KSL comment or whatever. They, they're just like, well, this just proves that mask, wearing masks doesn't work. And I'm like, that's like the opposite of what this proves. Anyway, people are so interesting, but just be careful what you are saying and think about other people. And really that's what it should come down to is like care about other people, love each other. This is, this is what we need to do. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of those comments are like just so much more painful now as yeah. you see this. Yes. You're like, people, this happened to me. Friends that know family. what I'm going through. Friends that oh, tell I've me never... to a mask. Yeah. And what? they're like, what? Yeah. Yes. And they'll be like, oh, no. they'll be yeah. like, oh, um, you're the only one that I know of that has like, has anybody hospitalized? And I'm like, cool. <laughs> like, congrats. I'm glad I could be that person for you. Maybe you should learn from my, from what our family is going through. Like, let us be an example to you. Well, I'm super glad you guys are willing to like talk about it. Um, Hopefully we will um, just by having this conversation prevent at least one of those events from, from happening. Um, That's that, I think that would be a major accomplishment. So thanks so much for sharing that and coming on and being vulnerable um, because I know it's super hard. I'm glad that your your dad's coming through it. Jake, I'm super glad that you're okay. And it was just awesome to get to know you. Um, so thank, thank you so much and go jazz. Go jazz. Go jazz. <laughs> it's thanks, the off Kevin. season, but still go jazz. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See you guys. See ya. It can event. Yeah. And that's it for the show today. I want to thank you for tuning into that conversation. Abby also wanted to let uh, the staff and medical team know at McKady Hospital how grateful she is for the amazing work that they did to save her dad's life and care for her brother. And uh, they're just doing amazing work there and they've got a hard, hard future ahead of them. We need to support them in, in any way that they can. She also wanted to update you uh, on her dad and how he's doing physically. Uh, he's he, When he came home um, on October 16th, he's still on oxygen and they're going to be working with a physical and occupational therapist for quite some time. Uh, but that he is doing good and, and they're moving together as a family. So... Uh, thanks again for tuning in. We want to thank August the Great for our theme music and Decker Yazi for our artwork. And send this episode to a friend. You know, this one's an important one. If we can spread this one further, we can prevent the spread of COVID-19 and make it so we don't overrun hospitals. We don't have to ration care. We do not want to ration care. So spread this one. Uh, even Abby's doctors, or not the doctors that cared for Abby and Jake's dad said, please share this story. And that's what made them really want to come on the podcast is the doctors want to get the story out so that uh, it can help us not, you know, spread this virus. So please do that. Send it to a friend. Really appreciate you guys and have a good one.